By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. I want to welcome our guest today, John Kruth. Now, I've had the real pleasure of working with John. We were both involved in the Society of Science Exploration and Paranormal Psychology's conference for two years in a row. John was the chair and I was the arrangements chair. So it's nice to be interviewing John today. And I want to let you know a little bit about him and then we'll get right into our interview here on conscious fertility. So John, he's the executive director of the Rhine Research Center and also the founder and education director of the Rhine Education Center. And he has many years of professional technology experience and as a professional researcher, which provides him that unique insight into the integration of technology and parapsychological research. And his research includes explorations into psychic healing, the energy behind psychokinesis, measurements of biophotons from energy healers, as well as other research he's doing in the psi realm. John, it's so good to have you here and to see you again on Zoom together. Lauren, it's always good to see you. Great to have conversations with you on any topic. <laughs> and when I asked you, you know, let's talk about conscious fertility, you're like, I can talk a lot about consciousness and psi. And I really was interested in because you are connected to so many people in this, in this conscious realm on the research side. So I thought you'd be a good person to talk to about this. And can you start off with maybe what is biophotons and what have you seen or what is energy healing? Well, you start with the easy ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when, when we think of healing, we typically think in terms of having physical healing, going to the doctor and, you know, you might, you know, twist an ankle or cut a finger or something like this. But there are other sorts of healing as well, of course. There is psychological healing. There's emotional healing. Uh, there's spiritual healing as well. The way that people respond to the world around them and finding a comfortable relationship with the world and a healthy and thriving relationship in all of these different means, uh, whether it be physical, psychological, or spiritual. When we talk about energy healing, some people think in terms of a witch doctor or something or someone waving their hands around. And yeah, some healers are like that. <laughs> but what's underlies what we see when we're looking at these different sorts of healing techniques are that there is often a need for someone to be healed in some way and an intention to assist them. Whether it be uh, related to, as I was mentioning, a twisted ankle or, or a cut or something, something that is directed towards a specific issue, or sometimes healing is more general and more holistic in nature. If you go to a traditional medical doctor and um, with a twisted ankle, and they're going to go straight to your ankle and try to treat it, very directed towards that issue. Whereas if you go to a holistic doctor, they might say, "What have you What have you been doing? 
<laughs> How did this happen? And want to learn more about your behavior in your life and what you know what you're what you're eating, what types of nutrition you have, all of these different things. When it deal when we deal with energy healing, we have similar sorts of approaches. Some people immediately go to the issue and they treat it like they're trying to something we call psychokinesis or PK, where their mind matter interaction, where they're trying to use their own force of intention and force of will to uh, resolve a physical issue you might have with your twisted ankle. Whereas there are other people who recognize the body as a whole. And when they treat it, rather than going directly to the source, they are trying to share the experience with you and develop an environment where healing is more likely to occur. Now, this is a, a different approach to energy healing that some people take, and sometimes it's very conscious and very intentional. Other times, it's just like uh, offering a smorgasbord of energy to someone who might need some sort of healing in different ways and letting them take it from you. And do you, because you're into the research, so you're talking about approach, um, you would have skeptics saying, that's great, somebody can wave their arm, somebody could have intention, but are we seeing things happening to the subject? Is the person that's receiving or taking this healing, are we seeing things change? Are, are you guys able to measure this? I think if you can define for us what is PK and psi and maybe even the human biofield a bit for some definitions, and then we can talk about some of the research on how your thoughts or intentions or feelings can impact your physical well-being. Is that fair? I'm a parapsychologist, which means I study from a scientific perspective, these different phenomena that you were just discussing, and I can go into detail about them. But the important thing is to recognize that parapsychology is a, or parapsychologist is a term that's thrown around a lot. But I've studied research and analysis methods, and I've published academic papers and peer-reviewed journals. And I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us doing this work. When we do this work, we're taking this very seriously. We're not trying to demonstrate, oh, wow, this ghosts exist or something like We're trying to determine these phenomena that we experience in our lives. How do they happen? And are they real or are they something we're imagining? So when we're discussing the, the phenomena in parapsychology, there are essentially five basic phenomena that we discuss. One is telepathy, which is mind-to-mind -mind communication or connection between people, mind-to-mind. -mind. Another is clairvoyance. It's getting information about events or activities uh, that might be happening from a distance, learning about objects that are hidden from us. Some people discuss remote viewing as a form of clairvoyance. But it's getting information about objects that are hard, that are distant from us or hidden. Another is precognition, which is getting information through time. Oftentimes it's from the future, but sometimes it's also from the past, but getting information outside of the normal time structure. Those three phenomena together, telepathy, mind-mind communication, clairvoyance, information about objects, um, that are hidden, or precognition, getting information through time, or what we call ESP, or extrasensory perception. In addition to those three, there's another phenomenon called PK, or psychokinesis. An old term is telekinesis. We don't really use that anymore, but you'll find it in the culture quite a bit. It's mind-matter interaction. It's using your intention or your uh, desires in order to have an effect on the world around you. 
those three forms of ESP and psychokinesis or PK, those four things together are what we call psi. Psi is P-S-I. It's not an abbreviation for anything. It's, a, it's just a way that we describe these things because they seem to be similar. They seem to have an underlying mechanism, but we don't know exactly what it is. So we talk about it in these terms so we can discuss these phenomena that we want to learn more about and try to understand what they are. Now, I've described four, and I said there were five. The fifth area is what we call the survival hypothesis. Survival has anything to do with, uh, like, for example, out-of-body experiences, people who say they are able to travel outside their body and have experiences in return, near-death experiences, people who have had their heart stopped or their brain activity stopped, and they continue to have experiences afterwards and then are revived and recall activity that occurred at, during that time. Reincarnation, memory of past lives. Oftentimes, it's children who have memories of having lived a previous life in a different location. And I'm not talking about like everyone is Cleopatra in a past life or, you know, King of England or something. No, no, no. It's not that. It's that they have memories of living in a community, sometimes with family members. Uh, sometimes they even have memory of their death. Reincarnation is another form that something else contributes to the survival hypothesis. We have uh, spirits, ghosts, apparitions people who see or experience what they believe are disembodied spirits. And there's a fifth one, and I can't remember what it is right now. But these phenomena all have one thing in common. They all provide, oh, I'm sorry, it's mediumship, communication with what people believe are disembodied spirits, and being able to bring that information back to people and communicate it with people who might want to uh, communicate with spirits. Those five phenomena have one thing in common. They all indicate that there is some existence of personality, soul, spirit, outside of the physical body. Whether it be traveling outside the physical body or whether it be having experiences after death, all of these have an indication that there's something outside of the physical that persists beyond physical death. That's what parapsychologists study. That's in a very specific kind of academic way. But parapsychologists also study consciousness. And consciousness is a bigger word. It has a larger context. And we can get into that in a little more detail if you'd like, Lauren. Yeah, well, hence we're the Conscious Fertility Podcast. So we definitely want to talk about consciousness. It's thrown around a lot. So to kind of get what the definition that you are using in your in your profession. And you know, when you talked about these different forms of psi, one that I think will be of interest to our listeners is is the PK, because that may come under the, the healing experience, it sounds like, from what I understand. Um, and some of the other ones seem like, I, I don't know if I'm there yet, they seem really out there. So a question I have is, these aren't just uh, one or two people, and these people aren't in special like mental health wards. These are scientists, everyday people that are having these experiences and scientists that are studying this, right? To just for our listeners, because it does sound a little bit, what are you talking about when you went into ghosts and other things? But you guys are taking it seriously. And the, the people you are studying are more brave today than they were maybe before to come out and talk about it because they were afraid they would be put away if they talk about these experiences. So these are a regular everyday or even very educated people that are having these experiences. 
It, what we find is that they're very common and not all of them. Not everybody remembers their past lives <laughs> and not everybody, you know, has an experience of seeing, you know, their, you know, Aunt Millie come walking into their bedroom after she's died you know, or something like that. But some people do have these, they report these experiences. We take them seriously when they say these things and we have conversations and we look at them from a scientific perspective with a critical eye. And honestly, sometimes it's people who are deceiving themselves or wishful thinking, but there are ones that we can't just wish away. The evidence continues to build. For example, a child who remembers living in a specific town, remembers their family there, remembers uh, the people in the neighborhood and remembers what relationships they had with them, places they've never been before. And then that child will travel to that town with their family and be able to point out landmarks in places they've never been before. And the people that they remember actually are there and remember them from a previous life. It sounds crazy, but it happens. We could ignore it and just say, oh, it's all coincidence, but it happens so regularly that we wanna understand all of human experience, not just the ones that fit into our normal, everyday kind of uh, belief system. Well, that's why we wanna have these conversations because in the medical world, in the fertility world, there's a box of this is how things are. And we're exploring if there's other ways to support the body's innate ability to heal. And so this is why we have this conversation because we're just, we are realizing now there is good research or research uh, available about, I think the term is psychoneuroimmunology, right? How your thoughts and feelings affect your immune system, your hormonal system, your nervous system. You guys are studying this as well. Like you've seen how people's intention, thoughts, and emotions can affect machinery, correct? Yes. And if something can affect machinery, you're measuring that, then what is it doing to our bodies as well? And so exactly. can you talk a little bit about that? And if you can bring in a little bit about the human biofield, because I hear about this more and more, and I want to know what this, I, I'd like to explore a little bit more how this relates to our healing. But Thoughts and feelings, what you're thinking and feeling, can it affect your own body? Can it affect somebody else's body? And what research have you done to try to measure this? Well, it's, you know, there's a long line of research around the idea that um, the way your positive attitudes and how it helps you to stay healthy and how, you know, your thoughts and maintaining a, po a positive worldview can really help you to progress in the world in different ways. And so... This has been studied with different people looking at, you know, people who have reported having positive worldviews versus people who apparently don't and seeing how they thrive in the world and, go, and through different situations. In research, we've taken this a step further and looked at, for example, there is a study done where we just took two jars of rice, cooked rice, had them sitting in a, in a um, controlled environment took one and put it in a separate room and another one had people who had an intention to love and care for that rice. And they would come in and share loving and caring feelings for that rice every day, give it attention. And the other jar of rice was in a different room and no one was paying any attention to it. Same environment, just a different location. Over a period of months, of course, rice goes bad. <laughs> Right. And it can start to, you know, get kind of dark in color and start to mold and mildew and you start to smell it and things. What we found is the rice that was given attention 
given positive feelings towards it, stayed fresh. It would stay white for months. Whereas the other jar that was the control jar would start to go bad. And so this is where we where we look at it and we say, okay, so obviously this isn't just within us that our positive uh, feelings and emotions are having an effect, but also on objects external to us. This is rice, right? But it can also have this effect on people. Now, what you were mentioning related to electronics, I can talk a little bit about this because it's not always something that we're doing consciously. Sometimes this stuff happens unconsciously as well. I worked in computer shop for about 20 years. Almost any software or computer shop you're in, you'll find that there's stories about certain people who walk in and when they come in, everything seems to break around them. All the technology, all the electronics break and other people who walk in and things seems to work when they're in the room. Well, I, I lived this for a number of years and I always wondered, is this real or is this just something that's imaginary? And so I designed a study around this. I had a computer network running in a room and I didn't tell anybody it was there, but it was monitoring errors, transferring the information between, between two computers. And then I had people come into that room and had them perform tasks. And the tasks were just simple computer tasks like uh, playing games on the computer, uh, trying to guess where the card is in a, in a pack of cards and things like this. And I gave them a time limit because I was giving them a reward. I wanted them to kind of get excited about this. Well, half the people, they went through the tasks and they had a nice time doing it. And the other half, I made the computer actually screw up for them. <laughs> the goal was to induce anxiety. So when they were trying to move a ball across the screen, it kept jumping back. Another one, when we were trying to find the card, um, they'd all, it would always be the last one. And they were on a time limit. So it induced anxiety in them. And the question was, when people become anxious around computer systems, does it have, does it have an effect on the electronics? So I had 130 people come in, and what I found is that yes, it does have an effect on that network that was running there that they didn't even know was there. So something unconscious about these feelings and anxiety were causing errors in electronics. It wasn't that they were making mistakes. It was that the electronics themselves were actually being affected. So what does this tell us, right? Well, if you're ever working on your computer and you're starting to get frustrated and anxious, that it's a good idea to kind of take a break, step back, and walk away because it might not be that you're making mistakes it might be that your feelings are actually having an effect but in addition if we're having these effects on electronic devices imagine what we're doing to each other we all know that our bodies are electrical system our nervous system is electrical um, our you know we have a lot of activity that is governed by electrical impulses and that there is a field around the human body not just, it doesn't end at the skin, right? If you were to look at a, at a person with a heat sensor, you can see that we radiate heat. But more than heat, we radiate other things as well. There's electrical fields. Anytime you have an electrical current running, there's a magnetic field that flows around the body as well. It's really hard to detect, and you gotta be really close to the skin to find it, but you can see it. We use this to measure heart rate when they put e EKG monitors on you. 
uh, brain waves when they put EEG caps on you and they have little uh, electrodes that come from your skull. But all of this is part of what we call the human biofield. Within the field of energy healing, it's extended. Many people who do energy healing can sense or they say that they feel a field around people. They're able to feel this energy and they're able to work within it and adapt it. Sometimes they're a, what they do is they try to adjust and balance different energy systems in the body. They'll, they'll find that, oh, it seems like there's a lot of energy that is currently around your, uh, your thyroid gland, gland, for example. And they might say it, it's almost like it's overwhelmed and we need to release that energy. And they might say, oh, there seems to be a lack of energy in your stomach or your abdominal region. How can we increase the energy in that area? Some people are able to say they're able to feel this. So our question is, can we actually figure out what is this energy that they say they're feeling and that they say they're moving around and does it have an effect? This is where we start talking about the ways that we test healing. One is to determine whether a specific intervention is effective and has the intentional effect. Another one is to uh, determine what is the experience for the people who are having the healing done, or do they feel better? Because not all healing is physical. You can't measure it all physically. So we want to know what is the experience of people, and does it correspond between the experience of people being treated and the intention of the healer and what they're planning to do? Of course, all of this is very blinded. We're very cautious about making sure that we're testing this scientifically. But a third way that we often test healing is to try to determine this energy. What is it? And this is where we often talk about biophotons. And that biophotons is actually currently being called ultra-weak photon emissions. So you might hear me using them both interchangeably. But biophotons are a, it's a form of light, ultraviolet light, that comes from all organic matter. This isn't parapsychology. This isn't any crazy stuff. This is biology. It's something that wasn't, wasn't really discovered in earnest until the 1970s. But they find that all animals, humans included, plants, even single cells, have a glow in the ultraviolet range. Anything that is alive and anything that is not alive does not have this glow. So what is this? And what is this light in the ultraviolet range? When we're at the, the work I do in my lab at the Rhine Research Center, uh, we have a bioenergy lab. And it's using standard physics equipment and using standard physics methodology and, and bio, biological methodology in order to see if we can detect this low level of ultraviolet light, these biophotons from people. And of course, we all have this glow, so everyone registers as glowing within our, our laboratory. My question is, is there something different about people who do energy healing? And when they're doing their healing, do I see, it, do I see light differently as well? So I bring in people who say they're energy healers. I don't test them to make sure they are, but I bring in people who say they're energy healers, people who say that they're martial artists and they uh, are doing different martial arts forms, people who do a lot of meditation, 
and I bring them into the lab and get a baseline reading because everybody glows. And then I say, start your healing process. Start your martial arts form or do your meditation. And I look for changes in the light level when they're active and focused on these different activities. Now, about 90% of the people that I have come through my lab, I get no change. But with 10%, when they're focusing, I start to see a change in the light levels. And I'm talking about very, very large changes in light, something that goes from about 20 photons a second, because it's very sensitive equipment, up to 60, which is three times the baseline. And I have people who go into the hundreds, thousands, and I even had two people go over in a million photons a second in a very tightly controlled environment. When you start seeing activity like that, you start wondering why is this light occurring, this ultraviolet light? And we start to look at different reasons that these healers might be, when they're feeling this energy and I'm measuring this light, why would it be happening and what is it? So this is what, how we start talking about biophotons. What, why is light important? You know, that's another question, right? You talk to energy healers, and I was talking about them manipulating energies. You talk to martial artists, they talk about chi, life force energy in the body. You talk to uh, meditators, they talk about the kundalini energies that travel through the spine. And they're all talking about energies, but if you talk to a physicist, they say, look, there's potential energy, there's kinetic energy. I don't know what you're talking about, but it's neither of those things. So I don't know what this energy is. Well, light is an electromagnetic form of energy. So we're using standard physics equipment to measure standard physical physics quantities, which is light, and we're finding it changing with healing, with martial arts, with meditation. Are we, the question is, is this light that we're finding an example of the energy that people have been discussing in energy? Are we finding the actual means by which chi is expressed from the human body? And this is where my research has been focused for about the past 12 years. Do you have a conclusion or idea of what this is and or why some healers, the light they emit changes when they go into their healing process? You, you know, I said 12 years I've been studying this. It's still a young science. <laughs> and even in biology, as I said, this kind of kicked in in biology about 20 to 25 years ago, where biologists started recognizing this type of light. They still don't know how it occurs. If you look up online, you can find different descriptions, but there's no definitive mechanism on how this light occurs. I don't have any insight on how it occurs. What my findings are is that people who say they're doing healing, I see more of this light. Now, is this light actually the healing energy that they're, they feel they're projecting or moving around? Or what seems to be more appropriate to discuss is that when people are doing healing, it's information transfer between people. I talked before about how some people will encourage an environment to allow healing to occur. So instead of acting like PK, as you were mentioning before, mind-matter interaction, where they're directing healing at a twisted ankle, there's actually a more holistic view. Creating an environment for healing is the intention. Now, that involves providing information 
to the patient and providing them with a means to heal themselves. Because we all heal ourselves naturally, but we sometimes block this. And we may do it unconsciously through our emotions. As we were talking before about having an effect on electronics unconsciously, without thought, it may also happen with our healing, our natural healing. And so an uh, energy healer may not be actually providing you some sort of light energy, but they may be using this light as a means of transferring information to you that will allow you to heal yourself. Now, how does light carry information? How could that happen? Well, the entire internet and our phone systems are based on fiber optic cables, which is light carrying all the information that we have. We found that um, having a series of the photons, if you take the number of photons multiplied times Planck's constant, it goes into this physics stuff, but the amount of energy involved in about 300,000 photons is enough to carry about 60 satellite TV channels and 300,000 photons. And we have found certain people who are producing that much energy within our laboratory. So that's a lot of information that can be transferred. The question is, can we demonstrate that this is actually the mechanism? This is that healing that is allowing healing to occur. That's where our current research is going, trying to understand what, how is this light directly related to healing? It seems to correlate in terms of the timing that it happens. The question is, what is the mechanism? Because just because it happens at the same time doesn't mean that it's actually doing the healing. So this is where we're what we're studying now. And like you said, it's young, this research, um, but you're seeing it's causing a shift and you are able to measure things so you know something's happening. You know, when you talk about these photons, it, it's making me think in our fertility practice, we've been pioneering using photobiomodulation, low-level laser therapy, where we're putting red or infrared wavelength photons into the tissue for healing, to accelerate healing, to increase the energy production on a cellular level, to regulate inflammation. Again, that's we're putting light into the body, yes. right? Yes, uh, and infrared light is, is something that's been demonstrated to have an effect on cells. The cells can utilize this light in order to accelerate healing processes. Uh, ultraviolet light, which is what we study with biophotons, is being recognized as ways that the brain cells communicate with each other. So there is ultraviolet light signals in the brain that are communicating between cells and other parts of the body as well. So it may be that the infrared stirs the cells and allows them to accelerate healing, and the uh, ultraviolet actually allows communication outside of our electrical channels. It's a new physics. It's really a new science, a new physics that we're, we're starting to explore. When you were talking about emotions and feelings, how you've measured it, how it can affect certain electronics, I think some of your research, you look at cell phones, you talked about the computers, you talked about um, how you can impact rice. So rice would go bad quicker if it wasn't receiving the love and attention, if people were sending love and attention to the rice. And so just simple acts like this, take up a relationship with yourself and have good thoughts and feelings, good communication, that you're sharing something that we would normally dismiss and think, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. But that negative self-talk potentially, potentially could be having harm on our bodies based on what you're seeing with what happens when it's around other organic and even electronic equipment. And so the invitation here is 
to work with your body and your thoughts and your feelings to have a healthy relationship with self and all those different parts that you may not have liked so much, there may be some benefit to develop a loving relationship um, if you're looking for change and healing rather than being angry and upset with it or resentful for something to learn to develop a relationship. It's a thought I have. I just, you made me think of that based on what you were sharing with the rice and the electronics. And the example I was giving, the rice wasn't being, it wasn't negative emotion towards the rice that was getting, that was going bad. It was neglect. It was a lack of attention, a lack of, you know, a focus on it. But we did find that having a very loving relationship, people were having loving relationships with jars of rice. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and really, <laughs> it, it had an effect. And if it can have an effect on a jar right. of rice, that's been cooked and things. It's not even a living thing in our time. And it still had an effect on it. Imagine the, and we all know, you know, when you're dealing with children or any human beings, neglect can cause a lot of dismay in people and cause a lot of harm. I like this to emphasize what I think I'm hearing you saying is it doesn't have to be negative thoughts. It's like water to a plant. If you don't water it, it will shrivel. And so bringing love to yourself and your body parts. Even if you're not doing negative self-talk, be consciously aware of having loving relationship with self because that's like bringing water to the to the plant. It's nourishing as what you saw with the right And how do you bring these loving relationships to yourself and to your, and how do you establish that? It's more than just sitting down and, you know, just meditating and saying, I love my fingers or I love my toes or my uterus or whatever. It's more than this. It's acting in all of your life in ways that will help to encourage you to thrive. And this is where the healing portion comes into it. Uh, by living a life that is more uh, synchronized and more in, in, uh, in concert with other living beings and other uh, things in our world, we can do so much just to demonstrate that we are caring for our bodies and caring for ourselves. Uh, caring for our loved ones in the same way. Uh, you know, one of the things that I often encourage people to do, uh, I do this in my lab all the time, is as I, when I'm getting ready to enter the lab, I stop at the doorway. And I recognize before I enter that door, go into my lab, I recognize what is my role when I go in there. I recognize what I'm carrying with me when I come to the door, and I leave it behind me. Because when I walk through that door, I want to play my role appropriately and not have all of this baggage that is influencing me when I walk in. You can do the same thing when you come home to see your family. When you go into any meeting or any type of a social situation, stop, recognize your role before you walk in uh, and act appropriately within it. This way you can be, you're living consciously. And by living consciously, you're providing the attention to have a healthy lifestyle. You're being mindful, it sounds like, and you're setting your attention as well. And so it, you become loving. You are loving. You know That becomes part of your beingness. It's not like just reserved for this moment of the day. It becomes who you are. With respect to the, the healing, we talked earlier about consciousness. So what is consciousness for you? Because I will share, I, I, I'm aware I'm using the word loosely. In my practice um, at AccuBalance, we do to help optimize and create that environment for healing. Like we talk about diet and lifestyle, stress reduction, sleep, exercise and rest. We use acupuncture, 
and we use herbs and supplements and low-level laser therapy, as I mentioned, to support that. And then I also use what I call conscious work or energy psychology. And I think these tools for me are just tools to help people get into that present moment to become very consciously aware. I feel that's where the, the power is. That's where change can happen. So that's what I'm calling energy psychology. And when I call it consciousness, it's about being present, being aware. And I don't know why, but I suspect what's happening from the reading and the research I read, I'm not doing the research, it seems like when we're present, we kind of go whole brain, like we have access to parts of our brain that we normally don't have access to, more creative aspects of it. Um, so your brain's like this really cool computer. When you're stressed and not conscious, you're kind of in a program and you're in a small part of your brain where you may not have access to your creativity. So when you're present and loving, you're in that whole brain. and I've been told that when you are in that place, you can tap into what some people have referred to as a superconscious. I don't, and I don't know what that is exactly, but people describe it as it's consciousness. We're part of consciousness. And I heard somebody recently use the metaphor that when you're in that place, it's like the internet. You have your computer, and when you're present, you're accessing your your computer, which is great. You have access to a whole hard drive. But you also now connect to the internet, so you get to access all the computers of the world. It's a big thing to ask you, but what are they talking about, John? <laughs> um, <laughs> when they say consciousness, <laughs> and they're tapping into superconsciousness, or they're tapping into consciousness, and they're doing conscious healing, what could this be all about? Yeah, it's the million-dollar question, right? What is consciousness, and how, how do we... And you know, this is something we think about a great deal in parapsychology. In the medical world, when they're talking about consciousness... It's typically awareness, as you were mentioning before. And the difference between um, someone who is under anesthesia and unconscious, unaware, and someone who is not under anesthesia and is aware, awake and aware. That's in the medical community how they typically describe consciousness. In psychology, they take a slightly different approach. There is that awareness, but there is also the unconscious, which is not asleep. It's extremely active and it's working all the time, but it's, there's activity that's not often transferred to conscious awareness. So the conscious awareness and the subconscious are all part of consciousness in psychology, but they are just different components of consciousness. But then in philosophy, consciousness is a different thing. Consciousness takes on a larger characteristic. It's more than just being aware it's human experience. All types of human experience make up consciousness. How we are human. So everything from like having a warm cup of hot chocolate on a cold night or, you know, finishing a project and experiencing the joy of finishing the project or the embrace of a loved one and the comfort that you get from that or the awe you get whenever you're like seeing the Grand Canyon or some amazing sunset. These last two that I mentioned lead us towards more than just being individually human, but more connected to others as well. And this is where we talk about consciousness in terms of the little C consciousness and the big C consciousness. The big C consciousness being the connections between all of us, not just the consciousness of a single individual, but the consciousness of all of humanity, all of the world all of the universe. Uh, in martial arts, which I've studied martial arts, I studied uh, Bagua or Pakwa, and we discussed the idea of 
a tree having a certain energy or certain characteristics. And that is the spirit of that tree. But that tree is part of a system of a forest. And that forest has its own spirit that incorporates the tree, but is also larger than the tree and has more varied characteristics. And the, that forest is part of a network of all forests. And those forests are part of all of nature. And it can continue. They're all spirit, but they have different characteristics as you start looking at them at different from different perspectives. In the same way, each human has their own spirit, has their own energies. And we are part of a larger system, the system of humanity, the system of animals, nature, and on and on. That's big C consciousness. Having that awe of nature when you see a sunset and recognizing it's bigger than me. We're all connected to these things and we are part of this. Parapsychology is trying to understand what that relationship, transpersonal psychology discusses the relationship to the divine or relationships to larger uh, systems like this that we're discussing, the big C consciousness. In parapsychology, we're trying to understand what that experience is and trying to understand what the mechanisms are and what we can do with it. One of the things we can do is making connections to other individuals, recognizing our impact, being part of this system, and making these connections to other individuals and trying to emphasize a thriving and healthy relationship between all of this. So this is where energy healing comes in. And it's part of a family structure. And when you're trying to achieve something and health-wise, you know, do some sort of healing or achieve something, you want to make sure the family structure is strong and supportive. You want to make sure your lifestyle is supportive. And you want to make sure all of your behaviors are supportive towards this goal of having a healthy lifestyle. And when you say this, is this an idea of becoming, you're becoming conscious in? Because to do all that, you have to be kind of awake and aware outside of just how the medical term describes it, but fully consciously aware of how you're feeling, how you're thinking, and how your intentions are and how you're impacting others. Well, if you don't know that big C consciousness exists, it still does and it's still you're still going to have these impacts and you're and it's still going to impact you it's not like you're you're setting a path and cutting a path through consciousness it's more like you're on the sea and you're kind of directing it as a sail as a sailboat might the sailor doesn't control the sea but the sailor can find the path through the sea to get to their destination and have you guys observed studied documented people that have had what would be considered almost healing or miraculous healing. And I want to differentiate this from the medical system because when you see a, a medical professional, they're working on the physical body, like you said, the ankle or the reproductive organs. And my understanding in the work that you've been studying, the energy healers, they're working on the human biofield. They are not working on the physical body. They're working on some form of energetic layer. And by working on that, then the physical body responds. Am I understanding that somewhat correctly different healers work different ways there are certain uh schools of healing of energy healing where they discuss the different energy bodies that are around the physical body and they often discuss how disease travels from the outside in 
It doesn't reach the physical until it's gone through the etherical body, gone through the mental body, um, gone through the larger consciousness. It has to travel through these in order to get to the physical body. So some energy healers will work on those external bodies and try to eliminate what they perceive as intrusions or imperfections in the optimal pattern that is within those. And that allows it to be resolved before it reaches the physical. But it's all part of one system, right? Right. And so when we're talking about healers that are working with this, they oftentimes they are working within the physical. And yes, I mean, there are miraculous healings that have occurred in medicine, and there's no explanation for them. Uh, we also see this way. There are a number of people who have had near-death experiences where their heart stops or they're, you know, they're clinically pronounced dead for a period of time, and then they're revived. And there are a few stories of people who have had cancer throughout their body. It killed them. They were revived and came back to life. And when they came back to life, the cancer began dissipating. And within a couple of weeks, this cancer that was that had killed them disappeared, not through treatment, but just disappeared from their body. It's almost like their body did a reset. Yeah, I've heard um, uh, like a biological upgrade, and some describe this as their personality, like they've had a, uh, an awakening, epiphany, they've changed, and so the personality changes, so the body changes. So you have this hardware, and your personality is the software. And you can get more out of your hardware based on the software. And so by doing conscious work, energy psychology, this kind of energy healing, you're playing with the software and in turn you get your hardware gives you better you get better performance out of your out of your hardware sometimes based on the software you're playing is the metaphor. When you're talking about these biofields and the energy, it makes me think of I heard it from Dr. Joe Dispenza, but I think I don't know if this is who he's quoting. He might have been quoting Einstein, but you may be familiar with this. He says that it's not matter that emits the field, these biofields, energy fields. He says it's the field that creates the matter. Are you familiar with this? I'm familiar with the concept. I'm not familiar with the quote. But yes, Einstein discussed very much that, you know, and other quantum physicists of that era discussed the fact that we live in a field of messy gooey kind of light and different sort of uh, particles that are just coming into existence and leaving existence this is quantum physics so in his in this idea that i'm hearing with a lot of conscious teachers conscious healers conscious researchers the idea is rather than trying to use matter to change matter so this is when it comes to manifestation or when it comes to healing using matter to change matter they're saying use energy to change matter because matter change matter is a form of, I think it's space time. So it can take a long time. But if you go beyond space and time and you're in, I think they call it time space, then everything can happen instantaneously. It, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's easier to change the way the, the cake is going to taste by changing the ingredients before you make it rather than taking the cake after it's been cooked. And trying to change the way it tastes. Right. Um, it's so it, working with the ingredients, with the pieces that may, that will come together and form the physical. So, what are these ingredients? And when you use your analogy, what would be the ingredients? So, the ingredients would be things like, for example, these these particles that come together and are are vibrating with possible manifestations. 
This is what quantum physics is all about. It talks about these possible possibilities. Everything exists in the state of existence and non-existence simultaneously. And then it becomes uh, observed. And upon observation... I've heard that as pre-manifestation and manifestation. And then when you observe it, what happens? When you observe it, it takes form. So observing it is when you basically give it to your, your intention. Give it your attention. Okay. And so uh, this is, in quantum physics, this is part of the double slit experiment. When you shoot light through a slit in a, in a just a single slit in a screen, you're going to, at the other end, it's going to project out as a single slit of light, a single sl uh, slot of light. But if you put two slits in it, you would expect it to have two slots of light. Maybe a little bleed over, but two slots of light. That's not what happens. <laughs> you, when you shoot the light through those two slits, you get, instead of having two slits of light, as if it was photons shooting through and hitting the screen on the other side, you get a wave pattern, an interference pattern. As if, you know, if you drop two pebbles into a pond next to each other, the waves, the ripples go out and they interfere with each other. And in some places they get larger and other places where you get one that's up and one that's down coming together, it evens out and you get nothing. This is an interference pattern that is known in physics. Light produces an interference pattern as if it is a wave when you shoot photons through a screen. Now you might think, oh, well, yeah, but it's just the, the photons, you know, the, it's the light going through that's doing it. But Actually, when you use single individual photons, you get the same pattern. So each photon, which we consider like this little ball of light going through the screen, produces, it acts like a wave, not like a particle. That's unusual and really strange. But what's even more strange is that as soon as you start looking to say, which slit is that photon going through, the right one or the left one? As soon as you observe it, it starts acting like a particle again, and you get two slits of light instead of a wet interference pattern. So just the act of observing light can affect how it expresses itself. This is part of when quantum physics talks about this, they talk about the wave as a probability wave. It doesn't have any form until it's observed. And upon observation, it takes a form and an expectation that we're going to find a particle produces a particle. This isn't parapsychology. This is physics with quantum physics. It's confusing the hell out of the physics world, and it has been for many decades. But they're fine. they've accepted it as a phenomenon, and they're trying to understand what causes it to happen. What we're looking at as a possibility is conscious awareness may be causing it to happen. Because there has been an experiment that's been done where instead of putting a little device to look at that double slit, a meditator, someone who's very good at meditation, will project their observation inside of the little device and try to determine which slit it's going to. So they put their consciousness as the observer. And even just the consciousness of the observer, without any equipment, without anyone actually looking, the conscious intention of observing has the same effect as if there was an actual observer there. The consciousness apparently has an effect on the physical world. 
and why we want to do our own conscious work because we're starting to see that we can influence matter potentially. There's all these infinite possibilities and you're showing in these quantum physics studies that you, by observing, you can change how something manifests, how it behaves. These aren't my studies, of course. Yeah. These were done back in the 1930s. But yes, consciousness is definitely having an effect on... And so, and this is why I wanted to invite and talk to you today is, is to let people know that there's actually research going on because you hear people say this and it sounds cute and it's nice, but yeah, this isn't real. This isn't real. And you're saying, yes, this is real physics. We are measuring this. We're trying to understand this. And, and so I want to just bring a little bit of confidence or because there's so much skepticism around this that there is some serious science being done by this. It doesn't mean that people are excited and, and accepting the research. The data is there. A lot of people, it's too hard to accept even though they have the data. I think it goes like, I can't believe this until you show me the data. And then you finally give them the data and then they go, okay, I can't accept the data. There's something wrong here, right? Because <laughs> it basically, I, I imagine what it was like when back in the day when we believed the earth was flat and somebody was saying, you know what, I think it's round. Or when they thought the sun re revolved around the earth and they're saying, actually, I think it's the earth revolved around the sun. It was really hard to accept that because from your five senses, it really looked like the earth was flat and you could really look, look at the sun moving in the sky. You can't tell me it's not moving. And, and now we know through science, not parapsychology, through science, the earth is not flat and that it is the earth that goes around the sun, not the other way around. I feel like with consciousness, we're there now. A lot of the scientists are finding it hard to accept this, but because so many more people are coming forward and so many people are seriously researching this, we are seeing these phenomena, these anomalies that we can't explain with regular science, our old Newtonian science, our old materialistic science, and it's causing us to stretch and grow. The good news for our listeners are there's things that you can do for yourself to bring on your own personal healing. Uh, John shared at the very beginning, as did I, that the body has this innate ability to heal. We know this just from regular biology. But there's other things that are going on here. He shared the story about the, the person who basically died from cancer, and we don't know why, but they're on the crux of death, came back to life, and then without any treatment, the cancer just receded, went away on its own. So the body has this ability or something has an ability to influence the body for this healing. And that's what this invitation is when we talk about conscious fertility or conscious work in general is using these tools. I've heard some people call it energy psychology, certain forms of meditation, certain forms of energy or healing. The invitation is to have an open mind and start to explore this and read the research, read the authors. What's your website? Because you have lots of um, courses on this, on how people can can work on their own psi abilities, and you have courses on the research that's being done. Can you share a little bit about where they can go to find this out, and we'll wrap our, our, our talk up today? Sure. It, it's the Ryan Research Center, and uh, on social media, you'll, you can find the Ryan Research Center, but also our website is www.ryan.org. It has links to information about the research we're doing, information about other sources of information, events that we put on, we put on a couple of events every month that are online that you can access. We're a nonprofit, so we're funded by memberships and by donations and things. So I always mention that whenever we talk about the website. But we also do have a school which is actually teaching parapsychology. We're teaching people not how to be psychic, but we teach them 
about how to look at these phenomena with a critical eye and recognize how to do research related to them, but also the different things we found through research that's been going on for you know over a hundred years, but since the 1930s in academic world, it's been going on, and um, we've we've learned some things. For example, meditation is something that having having some sort of uh, mental focus is something that more people will express sigh whenever they have a mental focus. Uh, and these are types of things we help people to develop these things to learn how to maybe utilize our findings in more practical ways, to live their life in a better way, to develop their own intuitions so that they can find parking places easier, for example, <laughs> or maybe you know, be able to make decisions with more information. Uh, and we also have classes that are related to art and humanity and culture and how psi and these sorts of abilities and these sorts of experiences have influenced arts and humanities and cultures over the centuries. So a lot of that is all available through the website at rhine.org. All right. I want to thank John Kruth from the Rhine Research Center. Um, for those on your fertility journey, uh, as usual, I want to wish you the best of luck and let you know you can use matter to change matter. You can also use energy to change matter. And that's what we do at our practice in AccuBalance with lifestyle and acupuncture and light therapy, photobiomodulation, and the conscious fertility work. Um, check out the Ryan Research Center and wishing you all well and a good rest of your day. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.